Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Dish with Dina podcast. I am so happy to have you join us again this week. And I apologize for being a little off schedule with publishing these next batches of episodes. In case I never mentioned this before, I am flying solo here. So I record and edit everything myself and sometimes have a little trouble being consistent when having to tend to some other time-sensitive responsibilities. Today, my guest is Carolyn Tucker. Carolyn is a Toronto-based personal trainer and wellness coach. She and I dish about emotional eating, personalizing and adjusting our definition of health and how to live our best lives as we advance through the decades of life. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Carolyn Tucker, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you for many reasons. Number one, I usually have an origin story that I like to share with my listeners on how I've met or how I know the person that I'm interviewing. But in your case, you are one of those kind strangers that I met on social media who quite literally on Instagram, I either followed you or followed a hashtag that led me to you. And I often say, when it comes to things like this, I do not believe in coincidences. So I'm so glad that you were generous enough with your time and open enough to be able to schedule a chat with me because I really do think that like-minded people find each other. And also your color scheme of your website and your Instagram page is my favorite color in the shades of purple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a reason to follow somebody, don't you think? (laughs) I 100%. (laughs) Well, it's a funny thing too, because, um, you know, that the colors, the pinks, the lights, the, the whatever, I I've, I do like those colors. But now I've been purchasing clothing um, in some of those colors, like looking for pinks, um, so that when I'm posting my Instagram posts, that there's some sort of correlation to the colors of my website. And so it's kind of funny. And I've grown to really love, um, you know, the bright pinks and stuff. So there you go. So I was I didn't think I was a pink girl. But um, somehow over the last few years, I've acquired a uh, a taste for that. A taste for, and you're doing self-brand marketing by wear, representing yourself wearing the brand colors. Yeah, and <laughs> as a person who's promoting healthy aging, you know, I think pink is a very bright and sort mm. of vibrant color, and it is all about, about finding vibrancy as a, a you know f- as we age. So um, I guess there's a, a somewhat of a correlation there. Like I, I, I am inclined towards blacks and beiges but since the the instagram colors are pinks and vibrant so i've gone that direction and maybe there's you know there's something there behind the behind that that i hadn't really thought about before oh my even till this moment (laughs) i have thought about this on my end i am an 80s gal so i was born in you know late 60s and i grew up as a teen preteen ish um, and I was very into a lot of the, you know, goth emo type of music and like very depressing stuff. And all I did was wear black, 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 dye my hair black, paint my nails black. And so as an adult, I've really completely went in the opposite direction. Like you will never find me wearing black unless I have done zero laundry for a really long time. And I tend to pair things up that are not matchy matchy, but color coordinated in some way that just vibrant, vibrant colors. I just always want to be marching around spreading joy and also reflected on myself too, that black is a color while 
some people see it as, you know, a uniform. You don't have to worry about thinking when you're creating an outfit. But in my mind, it reminds me of like my depressing days as a kid. So I really, (laughs) I really prefer this, the, the new generation of what I'm doing with a vibrant, almost two vibrant colors. So let's talk about childhood because a lot of the things that I like learning about people is starts off in childhood. Can you share with us some of your specifically earliest food memories, but maybe even take us through where you grew up and your cultural upbringing? I grew up in a pretty interesting home with two very uniquely different parents. My father um, was, I guess you could identify him as a health nut. He had wheat germ and um, bran flakes and whatever jars in the in the cupboard and would sit down to a huge bowl of special k breakfast every day with his raisins and and was really conscious about how much salt he would eat and he'd go to the market and purchase bundles and bundles of fruits and vegetables like he was at the farmer's market before farmer's markets were a thing and my mother um, was a free-flowing artistic Um, anything goes type of person. She was not very domesticated. She didn't love to cook. She um, had no interest in healthy eating. And so I grew up in a home with two really conflicting ways of um, of how to eat. Like I I really, and so somewhere along the way, I guess I developed my own version of how I wanted to eat. And I think it really happened because I started to gain some weight in my teen years uh, and I went to Weight Watchers. I don't remember how old I was. I was maybe like 14 or 15 years old, something around there. And I went to Weight Watchers and it was my first introduction to a more balanced way of eating, like learning about portion control and portion size. And from that, I, I actually at 16 years old, I got my driver's license and my father started allowing me he would give me some money and he would allow me to go to the grocery store and buy my own food because I realized I didn't like they were such opposite extremes I did not want to eat the wheat germ nor but I also didn't want to eat the pop tarts that were always in the the in the cupboard and so I started to cook my own food and develop my own idea of what a healthier eating lifestyle was so it it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't tradition it wasn't like um we had a certain style of eating it was just complete opposing sides of the health spectrum so that's really interesting because at 16 years old we're talking what is it like 11th grade 12th right you're in high school i guess at this point and this is a time where I I would assume that I know from my own experience, you know, children have a lot of temptations, they have a lot of socializing going on, or they're involved in different activities that maybe they don't make the best decisions when it comes to healthy eating. So how did you navigate that when it came to your own social circle or friends, you know, if you if you visited friends and family, other family outside of your own world, how were you able to integrate that new established routine for yourself with the habits that you had knowing that you're still a teenager well what I learned about myself that's sort of evolved over my lifetime is that I have tremendous amount of discipline and I would say that my motivation to stay thin um, was so strong and so dominant that I was able to make decisions about food choices that um, that you know, allowed me to kind of stay 
on the healthy game plan. But having said that, um, I dieted for a while on Weight Watchers. I don't, as I said, I don't remember the exact ages, but then I went, uh, then I had kind of had a bust out stage in my late, late teens where I was like, I, the dieting, and that's where I really, why I really, really don't believe in dieting because right. I, the restriction of eating so carefully became developed. I developed so many temptations that I started binge eating, mm-hmm. which I had never done ever in my life. And uh, I mean, up until that point. And so I was, you know, going into the store and buying a bunch of chips and candy and whatever crap I did. And I ate it to the point where I could barely breathe. And then I actually had my first gallbladder attack at the age of 18. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize it was a gallbladder attack. Um, So I thought I was having severe stomach cramps. I thought I was having like some sort of like food poisoning. But um, later, a few, a few years later, when I had my most severe attack at the age of 24, I discovered that, in fact, I had an inflamed gallbladder. So once again, I uh, that was sort of like uh, lesson number two. That was like part of evolution number two of my food eating, um, I guess, like redirect was I had this terribly severe gallbladder attack at the age of 24, ended up in hospital for a week. And the doctors said, come back in six weeks because we need to remove your gallbladder. And I was like, over my dead body, (laughs) am I taking that gallbladder out at the age of 24? And so I started to eat so healthily. So I wasn't eating that healthy, I guess. So I I was very healthy at 16, kind of fell off the bandwagon by my late teens, started eating pretty well again for a few years in my early 20s. I had moved to Vancouver, so I was living on my own and I was eating okay. And then I sort of went through another bad phase where I didn't have any money and I was choosing very, very poorly, eating cheap crap to try and just eat and then had this severe gallbladder attack. So the gallbladder attack redirected me once again to a healthy lifestyle. And that's when I guess really eating healthy evolved for me. So it was, I had, I already had a pretty good understanding of what eating properly was meant to be. And now there was a very strong motivation to do that because I had to really control the, uh, I was terrified of having another severe gallbladder attack. So I had to really focus on eating healthily. And um, that was sort of a new, a new beginning for me. And that was, so that was my, my mid twenties. And actually, Interestingly enough, I was just chatting with my husband about this. I met my husband. Well, he eventually became my husband, but we met at the age of 24. And I met a guy who's thin, likes good food, but food was just not a big thing in his life. Like if he was going to choose to eat, he was going to choose food that was going to taste good. But he could he just he just wasn't food obsessed. And I guess for some for a large degree, I was food obsessed. Like yeah, just care, food was always on my mind. And very, very fortunately, his approach to eating started to become my approach to eating and my, this, this like need to eat and binge and whatever started to diminish. And I started to develop, to develop a more healthy, balanced, and less attachment to 
to food as a as a an emotion as an emotional eater. I think I my, that that connection to the emotional side because I definitely had some stress growing up. I started to it started to diminish, and I started to not only did I prefer to eat healthy food, but I also uh, stopped being so obsessed with food. And and then I would say like I met him at the age of twenty four, and I'm now several dec- decades more than that and um food has remains a really important part of my life but it is not i don't emotionally eat i eat when i'm hungry i eat because i want to eat good food i eat right. yeah so it's interesting how it it, it, it evolved like it, as a kid it was confusing and then i got had this and then i subsequently by the way did have to have the gallbladder out 10 years later but i went 10 years without even a remote attack because I ate so incredibly well that I was able to eliminate any any gallbladder and the only reason I had the gallbladder out was because I wanted to get pregnant and my doctor said I couldn't get pregnant if I had gallstones so right I had to to have it out and that makes sense I was going to say as I usually do in these uh, podcast interviews I scribble incessantly (laughs) with my notes I'm taking notes as you're speaking so some of the things that I'm capturing from here were, you know, revolving the relationships that you had from earlier on, then flying solo, and then thankfully meeting up with somebody who was able to get you back on track in a way that felt appropriate for you. And so I want to go back for a second, because one of the things that I talk a lot about in my classes with my students is how we define health. Sometimes we say, oh, it's the absence of disease, or it's access to certain foods, because not everybody has affordable Uh, accessible ways to eat nourishing foods. And so your definition of healthy feels like it evolved over the course of those decades from what you were viewing externally from your parents to when you thought you had control over the food that you were making for yourself to then going off into these somewhat, you know, disordered eating patterns and recognizing this is not a good way to eat. What is your official, maybe now more formal definition of healthy? How do you see that whether it comes to food or just lifestyle in general? Well, I'll give you, there was, there was, there was another learning, a big learning uh, that took place several years later. So after I met my husband, I started eating really healthily. Then I I started to have my children. And then I, I, my younger son at the age of 16 um, started having really, really severe stomach issues and we took him to an ad. Well, he went through medical um, direction first, was on medications for, for a while. And then we took him into an, to see a naturopath. And she put him on this incredibly strict diet where he had to like really, really carefully. And I was I bought in 100 percent and we basically cured him mm. of this really severe, severe, like I mean, Crohn's disease diagnosis. And so that was so, you know, I went along for years thinking uh, eating in a, in a way that I considered to be what I knew because you know the research on on food has changed so much over the years and there's so much more information that to 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 know but like for example when my children were young they were I gave them a lot of frozen foods I didn't know better so as it was only as they got a little bit older and I became a little bit more informed that I started to be much more conscious of what I wanted my children to be eating and then my kid developed this this um really bad illness and when the naturopath started restricting the foods that he could eat I actually had another sort of rude awakening where I realized oh my goodness like I'm buying 
uh, chicken that's breaded from the from the deli or turkey that you know sliced turkeys from the deli things that were that had nitrates in it it was like wow I thought we were eating healthy so and it was like another revelation so to answer your question I think my idea of what eating healthy today is I do not eat processed foods. I really stay away from eating anything that's processed. I really try and make sure that the food that I eat is um, as, you know, as pure as I, it can possibly be, but I'm not neurotic about it. I like, I'll go out for dinner and I may have some bread and I'll have a pasta and I'll have a glass of wine and I'll have those kinds of things because I guess I do believe very much in that 80-20 rule that like three, mm. but I think I'm more like a 90-10. Like I think I really do retain a healthy lifestyle most of the time um, and then occasionally we'll go out and have something because I feel like my body can absorb it all of that to say too as I've gotten older now my focus on healthy eating has a has a yet a different approach so healthy eating was just was a general concept for me for I would say from my mid-20s probably till my mid fifties, I, I kind of really believed healthy eating was eating lots of vegetables and eating. Um, I actually was very plant-based. I ate vegetarian for a very long time. And then as the research started to like be thrown in my face about, about protein and animal proteins and the need to make sure that I'm getting my essential amino acids and maintaining my muscle mass and my bone mass and all this kind of stuff. I've had, I've, I've pivoted again to accommodate what I believe is important for aging well, for making sure that the, that my diet, my, my nutrition supports my, my, my goals at this stage of my life, which is to retain my muscle mass and my bone mass. So I guess what that all, all that, all that is to say is that it's been an evolution of learning over the years. Like I'd never did study nutrition entirely like I did take a I took courses but I never studied it exclusively so I don't have like a deep in-depth understanding of nutrition the way you probably do but I've definitely kept my ear to the ground to learn what or to at least stay on top of what I believed was the right way to eat and now my focus is on really just trying to make sure that the food that I consume is supporting my goals which is to stay strong and vibrant and and act and active and be able to continue to feel good and not have joint pain and all the things that you know start to begin to happen for many of us as we get older when you have a medical diagnosis not just you carolyn and your son but anybody who's listening to this too when you have a medical diagnosis sometimes people just assume you're going to automatically know everything that comes along with it doctors are not entirely no offense to the doctors that i've met but they're not entirely great as explaining everything and sometimes you as the patient are unaware of the questions to ask so it is sometimes a trial and error it is sometimes making yourself your own experiment and seeing things that you can learn, but of course, also hopefully going to people who specialize in certain fields or can give you, as Carolyn was saying, evidence-based information, research information that comes out to support whatever the guidelines are. But ultimately, it's quite an individual approach because not every single person is metabolically or, or chemically made up of the exact same thing. So sometimes what works for one person, you know, if you feel like testing it out or using implementing that strategy might not necessarily have the same effects on you. But I get when people are really sometimes frustrated or 
they're not entirely sure of what's going on and they're not getting give they're not being referred to the proper people that it can feel really confusing and then boom now you've entered another dysfunctional relationship with food because you're afraid of things exacerbating your condition so i really give you a lot of credit to honing in on the things that work for you and then also allowing that strategy to pass over to your son and helping implement those treatments and that way that you're strategizing to help him and and his uh, situation too, because it can be really complex and confusing. And some of the other things that you were mentioning also about the allowing yourself the flexibility, you know, really, uh, so the 80-20 or the 90-10 rule that Carolyn was talking about is allowing yourself to focus more on nourishing foods. And however, again, the definition of that could be different, whether or not you have access to certain things or food availability in wherever your community is or your neighborhood, or depending on your budget. So whatever the most nutritional food that you can get, that's your primary focus. And then allowing you the flexibility of having things that bring you enjoyment, because you don't want to focus solely on just nourishment only and be super strict on those foods that are quote unquote healthy, and then never allow yourself to venture off and give into some cravings, temptations, indulgences, because then you're also perhaps foregoing the joy factor, or you might end up not being able to socialize or celebrate. And a lot of people's worlds, you know, celebration is you include that you include fun foods, sugary items, you know, maybe going out to drink with somebody if that's something that you enjoy too. But, you know, we talk sometimes about this word moderation and moderation is not necessarily defined either, uh, but it can be, it can be in a way that includes a, a good balance of a lot of different things. And so also Carolyn, what you were talking about, which is now I want to go in the direction of the physical fitness. So for those of the listeners who've heard me speak before and for my students in my classes who might be listening to this also, we talk a lot about life cycle nutrition, how there are different needs and modifications and things that you adjust depending on what stage of life you're in. And then of course, if you have special considerations or disease states, then you make modifications there too. But your sweet spot is around 30 to 35 years old. That's when everything kind of is at like it's peak density, peak bone density, peak muscle mass. And then whoop, it's all from that point forward, pretty much a full-time job on the human's end to make sure you're maintaining that because your body just does naturally deteriorate. So Carolyn, in all of the things that you are doing now with that focus on movement and physical fitness and especially yoga teaching and personal training, walk us through some of those discussions that you might have, especially when people might not be like myself, super apt to just have it come naturally for us to be physically fit, whether or not, you know, we're active as far as moving around throughout the day. But I'm talking like actually having a routine that includes strength training, flexibility, balance, you know, tell us a little bit about the people that you're working with, how you're motivating them and what things you're including in those discussions with them. The primary focus that I'm trying to share with my clients is, is that pretty much which what you just said just a few minutes ago is that it's really the human's responsibility after a certain age to make, to take, put the onus on them. If they're, if the, if the desire is to um, live an active, vibrant life and live a long and healthy, vibrant life, it's really incumbent upon the individual to uh, do the necessary things to get there. So 
my goal is really to inspire my clients to take control of their um, their nutrition, their sleep habits, their physical fitness choices. So I guess I've become a, a semi-obsessed over muscle mass because of its it, it, unique importance. Like it, I, I've always been attracted to a strong muscular body, but for many, many years, that was for physical appearances because that was what I, I who knew about you know muscle mass loss and and uh, and how important it is as an endocrine organ to like for my immune system and for for preventing disease. I didn't know those things, and, and even that information is only so much more so so much more recent. So I guess if you're asking me, my goal is to try and educate my clients on the importance of retaining their muscle mass because it has so many repercussions for their longevity because it's really a longevity the muscle is like a longevity organ so this so perhaps perhaps they are less inclined to want to exercise in that way but if they can develop an understanding like a why that that their why includes the desire to stay strong and 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 have the capacity to continue to do the things that they love to do whether it might be hiking i have a couple of photographers that are clients and they're carrying lugging heavy equipment and they're you know going up on scaffolding to to photograph buildings like they need their strength in order to do this if they don't have strong legs and strong arms and a spine that can support them their work is going to be is going to be compromised so my goal is to try and educate people in their in, in the above 50 age category that it's not it's not about looking good in a bathing suit it's not good, uh, how good your jeans hug your butt it's really about preventing disease it's about having adequate amount of energy and to to like i think there's an empowerment component to this right so as we there there's an ageism as you you know you enter your late 50s your 60s your 70s you like you don't want to you don't want to I don't I know I don't want to just sort of wither off into the like into the aged and the dismissed I want to I want to remain vibrant I was just you know I was hiking in Sedona a few months ago I I go hiking all the time I want to be able to continue to do like I'm not even willing to consider the possibility that the things I love to do are going to be taken from me so I work super hard to keep them in like to make sure that they that I can retain them and that's I guess the the basis of what I do for my clients so it's a different focus it's not a focus of let's work out so much to be healthy and look good in our genes anymore it's let's work out to remain vibrant to have our strength mm -hmm. to not let age be a deterrent to living our best to, to living like the best life that we want to live and doing all the things that we love to do so I kind of I kind of approach it from that perspective oh my gosh you are speaking volumes in this because longevity is a huge thing I mean I joke a lot of times I'm 53 and I'm already so tired I don't know how much I can put out out in there right. in the rest of these years coming up but I don't want to give up because I have a huge list of things I want to accomplish and I'd really like to be able to do so the other thing right. too with maintaining muscle mass and and 
any of the flexibility movements and the, the strength training that goes in with it too, you're also reducing the risk of falls and fractures. And that's a big deal when you're 70 and you break a hip, like, you know, you want to make sure that A, that doesn't happen, hopefully, and B, if it does, that you can recover and bounce back. Um, I've shared on this podcast about some of the things with my mom. She's undergone a lot of different uh, illnesses and she ended up breaking a femur a few years ago, but my gosh, that woman bounced back within six months. She went from physical therapy, a walker, a cane, and then boom, she's back in like three inch wedges at, you know, 80 something years old. And so, yeah. And this is all because even though she's teeny, when you look at her, you think she's a teeny tiny frail woman and she is totally not. She can really, she's a powerhouse because she lifts weights and she goes around and walks a ton. She does strengthening exercises. She keeps, she also keeps up with a lot of her physical therapy movements still because it helps with doing that for her. It helps, you know, making sure that she's maintaining that muscle mass. Uh, she's also somewhat restricted in her diet because she has issues with kidney uh, disease, but she does make sure that she's eating quality proteins and she also takes in a good variety of other foods. So she knows what, what works for her. And I just, I cannot get over when I see her, I just keep saying you are resilient. And it's a true testament that it doesn't require, you know, she doesn't have a gym membership. She's not going out and like lifting 300 pounds over her head. She's just doing the maintenance work and it's really working for her. And I'm just, I'm so proud of her. So I love that this is what your destiny now is for people within this region. I, I just turned, what I say? I turned 50, I'm going to be 54 at my next birthday. I'm menopausal. I'm already feeling the effects of, you know, my core feels like it's mashed potatoes and (laughs) I'm worried about, injuries. I pulled a muscle in my back a million years ago, and I still feel the repercussions from it because I do not, I am not consistent. I'm here to confess that I am not consistent with the things that I should be doing and need to be doing. And so you talk about the why, like the reason people want to do stuff has to really speak to them. A lot of times in our world of dietetics, when we're working in counseling sessions, you know, we try to walk through what are called the stages of change and the readiness factors of what people believe they can do, they want to do, are willing to do. So that really plays a role with mindset also. So I think that's helpful too, to get people to understand, like, what's it worth to you to be a strong, resilient human being, both mentally and physically? And if that's what you want, you know, it can't just be a quick overnight weekend thing that you think is going to take you from A to B, especially if you have not been putting in the work previously, that it takes a while. And then it, it's consistency too after that. So, you know, yes, a little bit goes a long way, but having that momentum continue and being consistent at it, at it I think is also um, really important as well. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think even as, as, old although it's not old as 54 is it's still young relatively speaking with regards to the change like you said you're menopausal and you're feeling the changes that are occurring in your body but my what I would say what I would say is that perhaps you are not feeling them in a way that they are preventing you from doing the things you want to do and I I would say that you know another five years down the road maybe that those the things that are already starting to show up might be that much more 
noticeable and that's when you're going to say oh wait a second I've got to now now I really have to start to pay attention and focus like maybe maybe right and it depends like I think everybody is so different I have friends who are my age and like one of my friend looks at me she says I don't know I just I know I'm supposed to do this but I just hate it I hate exercising I don't want to do it some people just they they can't they won't and and you know hopefully they all figure it out um it's it's I think it's really one of those things that are different for for everybody. But my goal is to work with with clients who are ready, who yeah. are ready to do what it takes to maintain their strength. You know what the way I describe the decline is it's like you're climbing up a sand like a, a, a sand hill you know like you're going you go up and go up and the sand is pouring is, is, is coming down at the same time so it's it really does require like you said huge amounts of consistency and there's it, and, and and a lot of willpower because you got to just keep plugging so I I'm a lucky one me personally I'm lucky because I love to exercise I've loved to mm-hmm. exercise my whole life I, I never had it was never like a Oh, I don't want to do this. Like I happen to love it. The same thing with, I got lucky that I, I love eating healthy food. It was never like, as I said, I never had to choose between the, the McDonald's or the broccoli. I always wanted the broccoli. So that's just a luck that that's me lucky. And that's for sure not the average person. So when I'm working with a client, I really try and see if we can figure out where's the right place for them like where does it feel like they can work within the range that feels appropriate for them but it gives them the that they still feel the motivation to do the things that are going to help them feel um like moderately better if if not like a hundred percent better you know and it's a small what's really kind of cool is is like you're talking about your mom she's not she's not like lifting 300 pounds over her head, but she's consistent. And it's all about the consistency, right? She's daily doing her physical, her therapy exercises, and she's doing her light weights, and she's doing whatever she's doing. And power to her, because the stats are saying that 50% of women over the age of 65, should they break a bone, like a hip or a femur bone, which is really unusual, um, they'll never walk again because they haven't got the muscle and bone develop the bone muscle mass and the, and the bone mass to support their recovery. So I, I don't know, I hear that stat and it scares the living daylights out of me, you know, right. so I, and I, and I do use that message loud and clear with, to try and motivate people to think about it. So, you know, you can't, you can only bring a horse to water and you can't make them drink. And that's kind of the same thing in this category. Some people are going to jump all over it and they're like yep I have a reason I, I I've got grandchildren and I want to be able to take them to Europe or I have um you know I I love to play uh tennis and I don't want to stop playing or I want to hike you know up, up to to uh, Machu Picchu like everybody has a different uh, not everybody most people have something in their life that they really want to hang on to and that's generally where the why comes from I mm-hmm. think to keep people going like that's and you or at least you hope to have that yeah and I was going to say too I realize this might not be everybody's approach or people might not yet be there but I think at the very least just to offer some 
whatever you can move, just try to move it. Try the, I think the real goal here is also making sure you're not getting stagnant. So if you have become the person who is constantly at home working at their computer, you know, busy, 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 I don't get up to eat or pee or drink or whatever. It's, you know, that's not great. They, there's a thing that I think uh, an adage that I came across not too long ago that sitting is the new smoking. When it comes to heart health, it's almost like your body is going to take sedentary lifestyles into factor when it comes to your health. So at the very least, try to move whatever you can. And then if you can, you know, move forward a little bit more with some of the things that Carolyn is mentioning too. try to incorporate some sort of routine and get out there and be consistent with that. So Carolyn, I'm going to be cognizant of our time here. And before we start wrapping up, I want to ask a couple of things. Number one, you offer a ton of stuff. I mean, you have, I saw your website. I saw your Instagram page. You have a lot of really great resources and services that you share. Can you walk us through a little bit about what those programs entail? Like what do people get when they're working with you? And what kind of features do you, because you're doing virtual space and you're also doing one-on-one uh, -on -one or you know in-person sessions too. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one personal training in, in my home. I have a, a gym in my basement. And um, so if people live in the Toronto area, then I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I do the same thing virtually. So if, if a client is a, is, has their own equipment at home, then we do, and they're not here in Toronto, then I can, I work with them through, through uh, Zoom. Um, I'm also, and, and so my program is basically one-on-one -on -one training, but I, I have, uh, like, generally speaking, it's, a, it's a, like a minimum of an eight-week program where we do assessments and we figure out um, what areas of the, of the body are sort of in need of some uh, maybe uh, re redoing. And um, so, yeah, so I work with clients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and I also work with them. I'll do a, a eight week program. And then I have what I consider my signature program. I have a 12 week combination uh, called a healthy aging transformation program, 12 week program where it's a combination of both coaching, wellness coaching and personal training, either in person or virtually. Um, and so basically in that program, I do believe that the exercise component of healthy aging is non-negotiable. I do believe that we can eat really well, but we really have to move the body. And that in that program, I go into both nutrition and, and exercise, but we also go into um, sleep and stress. So I, I cover all those categories and really try and help clients um, navigate you know, the strategies that are going to be going to work best for them. Like you were saying just before, everybody's different and everybody's motivations are different. So I try to meet my clients where they're at and we take baby steps and work on helping them, um, you know, one step at a time. But it's a combination program because it, I, it encompasses all the different aspects, hormone health and and, you know, getting your better sleep and the right nutrition for your body and and so on and so forth. I'm glad you said and that. I do the same thing in my end too, where we talk not just about food and nutrition modifications, encouraging healthy movement, but also sleep is such a huge factor in so many different things. A lot of research being done on not just metabolism, but also even potential risk factors for neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia, and then stress management too. I mean, hello, we're in a pandemic still, so we're still undergoing a lot of chaos for some of us. And so that's very important. I really love that you take that you know, multi-dimensional approach when you're working with your clients. Yeah. And I'd like to, I generally like to actually start at the sleep component because in my opinion, um, if the sleep isn't 
isn't being managed, everything else is going to be, you know, if you don't sleep, then you end up hungry. And if you don't sleep, you're too tired to exercise. And if you don't sleep, you get stressed and you're a mood, you'll have a mood, you know, issue. So there's a lot that sleep dominates. And so that's kind of where I like, like to begin. And I forgot to mention the one other thing that I do have on my website is an on-demand platform where I offer classes. I, there's a, about a hundred or hundred plus classes on there that cover a wide range of um, every category really. So I've, I have weight training classes. I have relaxation classes. I have areas that classes that focus on the core folk classes that focus on upper body, lower body. So there's, they're supplemental, I guess you would call it. So, you know, my, my hope is that people are doing their weight training a few times a week, regardless of their age, and then find, filling in the rest of the week with these, with these other types of classes that focus on balance and mobility and flexibility and, and so on. So that's pretty much my offerings. That is fantastic. It's it's quite, I think it's a little bit of everything for everyone. I mean, I know you have a particular clientele that you focus on, but it does feel like when you're meeting them where they're at, that they can accommodate their lifestyle, they can accommodate their schedule, they can accommodate their location, like whatever it is that they're doing, you have a solution for them to be able to do that. I hope that. so. That, I love it. Cool. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. So Carolyn, let me ask you some of my final questions of our discussion. Where does the future you go? What do you think you're going to be expanding into both professionally and personally? Where do you see your business going and what pursuits are you looking forward to in, in your future, in your longevity years? Well, um, good question. So I would say that with regards to my career, um, I'm going to, I'd like to continue. I'm pretty happy. I feel like I've hit a sweet spot. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one coaching, I, I was teaching group classes for many, many years, and I've sort of uh, moved away from that and have really been enjoying the one-to-one -one connection. I'm a real people person and feel much more um, connected to my client when it's on a one-to-one -one basis. So I think that's going to continue. However, one of the things I'm going to start to bring to the table are wellness retreats where I bring together somebody who focuses on connection, who so another person who's really focusing on the health coaching component of healthy aging and then myself focusing on the, I mean, I, I have the health coaching background as well, but there's, I have someone who I work with that's quite, um, who's got quite a bit of education beyond mine and then and then working on the health component or the, the fitness component so retreats are sort of in the are in the future and other than that I think from a business point of view I'm going to stay kind of doing what I'm doing because I'm loving it and as far as my own goals I, I I want to get back out traveling I sort of like this pandemic really put a a bit of a, a pinch in my in my passion for travel and, and hiking places in the world. So that's sort of on the on the agenda for upcoming um, years and can just really continuing to um, learn how to age well. It's it's a new area for me. It's only in the last five years that I've been really focusing there and I'm just continuing to to travel up that um, in that direction, because there's this constantly, constantly new information coming out and I'm like all over it. So that's what I'm doing. I, that is so exciting. And especially, you know, I've talked in some of these other podcast episodes about the differences between a job and a career. And when you love what you do, you're really so embedded in it. Like you just want to soak up everything. You probably come up with ideas in the shower, you know, it's just nonstop with the 
in, enjoyment that you get out of what you do for yourself, but also what you can offer for your clients. So I'm, that's that right. is so, so lovely. So Carolyn with, uh, I'll obviously put information in this episode about where people can connect with you and find more about what you do, but is there anything that we did not cover that you'd like to share that we didn't touch upon or that you think you might want to elaborate on before we wrap up? Um, I think we've covered it all. I mean, I, as I, as you know, sort of said that uh, my, my passion for um, working with, with women over the age of 50 to just really help them be badass. Like that's my goal is, is to not get discouraged with the, you know, the hormone shifts and the menopause and all the, and the, the flabby tummy or whatever it is that people are dealing with and the disappointment that their bodies are changing. Cause um, that's not, it's not the end there's just so much we can do to to stay strong and healthy and I think that's the message that I want to get out there yeah the mindset is really a big component in that so I'm glad that you're doing that to support everybody so my final question is a two-parter somewhat related my corny questions of my wrap-up are what's on your plate today so as we are coming up on the end of our afternoon together what are something that you what is something that you're working on next and then what are you eating what's the next thing that you're actually eating or making for yourself? Well, I am heading to the theater tonight. And so I have to have an early quick dinner. And so we are going to, there's a great little restaurant across the street called Fresh that has all plant-based meals. And I'm going to pick up a couple of protein bowls that have tempeh and rice and nice, all kinds of nice veggies in it. And that's what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, that, that's what's on, that's what's on the plate. I'm not actually cooking tonight because I got to get out of here pretty early. I have so enjoyed our conversation, Carolyn. Thank you again for your time. And I really am looking forward to crossing paths with you in some way in the, in the health and wellness world in the future. Thank you so much, Dina. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, likewise, I'm sure we'll continue to cross paths in the social media sphere. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina, and I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again. Dish again.